وبشرحي صدري ويسلي أمري وحلو أقدام لساني يفقه قولي سأو الحمد الله سبحانه وتعالى blessed praise is him peace and blessings upon uh, our beloved messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam upon his family his companions and those who follow them till the end of time salam alaykum everybody uh, so we are reading uh, from Shot al-Hujurat we're hopefully going to be able to finish um, before the break and then uh, when we come back we'll start with Shot al-Jin um, but now we are reading from Surat al-Hujurat, and we said that uh, Surat al-Hujurat is Surat al-Adab. You know, Imam Ali used to say, "Inna yatimu laysa." He used to say, "The orphan is not the one who doesn't have a father or a mother." Lakinna yatim al-Adab. He used to say, "But like good character is an adab. Like good character is the orphan. Like no one cares about good character." Like good characters left in the streets. It's your Oliver Twist. Right? So this chapter teaches us how to engage with one another in a general way. It doesn't really get into specifics because culture usually defines the specifics of how we engage with each other. And then Surah Al-Fatiha, which we learned before, uh, gives us the foundations of Al-Mu'amala uh, Ma'Allah. You know, how do we live with Allah? This chapter teaches us how do we live with people. Alhamdulillah. So it's like a really, really cool chapter. And we, we um, there's a few points I want to make about some of the verses that we already went over, uh, just to give you like some insight and hopefully spur some conversation. Uh, for those of you who are new here, like it's open, so you can say, you know, you can always like raise your hand if you have any thoughts, if you want to share. Uh, there's no like hierarchy, alhamdulillah. Uh, in that way. So, uh, first of all, if you look at this, the sixth verse, uh, it starts to use this word in. In ja'akum fasiqum. In, if. It translates like if. Uh, if you look at wa in ta'ifatani mina mu'minin qtatalu fa aslihu baynahuma wa in, if. But actually, the word in, we say tufidu taqlid, which means like it's rare. It's a rare thing. So, when he says, like, for example, a believer could be a fasiq, means like rare. Like a rarity. Uh, when the believers fight, like, it's a rarity. Like, it shouldn't happen. It may happen. Unfortunately, we see the believers, like, they fight a lot now. Al-Razi talks about this, but, like, as a, as a moral standard, I should try to refrain from those things as much as I can. Okay? The other thing that's really interesting that someone asked me today on Instagram, who follows, I guess, on Facebook, is Ta'ifatan. Uh, Ta'ifatan, actually the form is called Muthanna. Inshallah in the future we'll have a course in Arabic grammar. It's like Arabic grammar is easy. People always say it's hard. I'm from Oklahoma, man. If I can learn freaking Arabic grammar, anyone can learn Arabic grammar. And I'm no genius, okay? But Ta'ifatan means two groups, right? So, وَإِنْ طَائِفَتَانِ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ اِقْتَتَلُوا Pay attention to this. We talked about this in Fatiha a little bit. It's called iltifat, the tense changes. So it says, if two groups meet, iqtatalu. If, if, if two groups fight, and the word for fight now is a plural. It doesn't say, doesn't say iqtatala. Iqtatalu means more than two fought. So my question to you is, think about this. Why would you say like there's two people fighting, but then the outcome is a bunch of people start fighting? It didn't say two people fight, 
and those two, two, two parties met, and those two parties fight. Arabic says two parties, and it led to like an infinite number of people fighting. Why do you think it does that? And if you saw my Instagram today, you're not allowed to talk right now. And also we pray for Alabama. You know, we can no longer tolerate any more of this. We ask Allah will shine rays upon the people of Alabama, right? So that we don't have to put up with any more of this nonsense. But, And what does this tell us about the importance of leadership, community organizing, influencers, people of influence, people of change, right? The outcome of the decisions of a small group of people who can make change. There's something in this verse about that, right? So it says, didn't say It switches back So to fight The outcome is a bunch of people kill themselves So make peace between those two Didn't say make peace between everyone involved So my question to you is why It's hard to explain this in English a little bit So I hope I'm getting it It talks in the beginning about Two groups of people fighting. The outcome is a bunch of people get crazy and ratchet. Then it doesn't say make peace between everyone fighting, but it says make peace between those two that started it. So my question to you is why would it do that? Yes, sir. The rest of the, the people that are fighting are just followers of, of the two that initiated the fight. Exactly. So they, those two may have been the initial cause, these three, six, seven, eight people, but oftentimes with conflict, it does what? More people. It spills over and you lose what? You lose control of it. Anyone here experience that with like family? Like family starts fighting and it's like a husband and wife get in an argument and then someone calls an uncle, someone calls another aunt, calls another uncle. Next thing you know, all of Bay Ridge is blowing up right now. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's, that's the point here, right? That, and, and there's a lesson in here, like be careful how you fight because it could create an outcome that's not controllable. And also if you're going to be involved in peace, like... Don't get caught in the side issues. Go to the source of it. Because if you're able to influence influence makers, it may be a better way to solve the problem. Because usually when we get caught up in side issues, like then you start talking about the uncle to the uncle, like, you know, uncle, like, I, I, you know, I don't think the way you handled it is good. Now, this is a second fight. And it just keeps going and going and going. So this verse also... Um, he alludes to the importance of leadership and focusing on influence makers, focusing on change makers, right? And then understanding the danger of conflict. Conflict can become dangerous. It can become out of control. So Allah says, So when you make peace, go to the source and try to fix it between them. And also didn't say فَأَصْلِحُ said فَأَصْلِحُ بَيْنَهُمَا meaning like recognize that there's common there's we say أُمُومٍ خُصُوصٍ right there's things that they share that are in common 
and there's things that they argue about. So you got to get them at the table, right, and try to work through where they can agree and where they can't agree. What are the negotiables? What are the non-negotiables? This verse, you know, there is a number of narrations as to why this verse was sent. Uh, what's called the reason for revelation, asbab and nizul. Uh, one of our teachers in Azhar used to say, Ma'rifatu asbabi nuzul likulli haraj. Used to say to us, like, if you know why verses were sent, like, this is going to remove all the problems in understanding the verses. It gives context, right? It gives meaning. But this is interesting, that in Medina, there was a lady, she was uh, from the Ansar, and she married someone who wasn't from the Ansar. And uh, they begin like have problems you know maybe cultural issues like so I recommend new couples like get premarital counseling I think it's like sunnah um, because the, the, the fusing two relationships together is never easy it's never easy I was talking to a brother he's been married three years he's like I, I, we still learn like new things about each other you know I didn't know I didn't know you know and they begin to argue this may sound familiar and the issue was that his parents, especially his mother, felt that he was not giving his mother her rights in the face of his wife. All of us have probably heard this before. Malcolm X used to say that in-laws are outlaws. You know, and the mother's complaint was like, you love your wife more than me. So there was like little, a little drama that happened. And her name was Um Zaid. She was Ansari. So, of course, like, it puts the brother in a bad position. I just want to remind mothers-in-law uh, and fathers-in-law, like, you don't have a right to go into a marriage and, like, ask these kind of questions. It's haram to put this kind of pressure on a young couple. Like, do you love me more than your wife? What kind of question is this, man? You know, it's not like the Knicks and the Celtics. Like, that's an easy answer. But when you, when, you, when you say, like, do you love me more than your wife to your son or your daughter about her husband, haram, man. And it, it creates drama that should never have been created. Because any time in the Quran, Allah talks about family relations, He says, islah, islah, islah. Like, fix it, fix it, fix it. He didn't say, yulqa alayha naru fitna. He didn't say, like, throw fitna on it, like, be part of the, the problem. Secondly, from a, from a point of fiqh, and this is going to get me in a lot of trouble, who should you love more? Most of the ulama said your wife. For example, it, the wife has the right to say who can live in our house or not, not the parents. Because we married our husband and your husband also. We married our, our wives and our husbands with irada, with a choice, with an aqad. But you didn't choose your parents with an aqad, you were born to them. So, and this is very important in Islamic law. When you and I, al-Muslimun ala shurutim, the hadith, right? When, when you and I agree to a contractual relationship, that's more sacred than something that is just the outcome of theodicy or providence. So, like, I'm contractually married to the person, so that means I have to show more now that doesn't mean you can ask your spouse to mistreat his or her parents. Like, let's not get it twisted. But when the mother asks this question, you could say, or your father, 
I have married them with an aqid, but I was born to. So the aqid has haq alayya. It's a contract. So what did he do? This may sound familiar. The spouse of Um Zaid, he freaked out. And he said, I'm going to not allow you to visit your family anymore. This sounds like something I see every day in the Muslim community. Wallahi al-Azim, man. You know, like they say, فَحَبَّسَهَا فِي الْعُلْيَاءِ Like he, he, he made her live in an attic, man. And he was like, you're not allowed to go see your mom and dad. So she sent a letter somehow to her family, and her tribe shows up, man, in front of their house. And then his tribe shows up, and they start fighting. And even, it's, it's, it's interesting when you read the tafsir, so, you know, they fought with like, they even threw sandals at each other. Man. It was like ratchetness, right? The other lesson we learned is the Sahaba were human beings. Like stuff went down, stuff went down. And then of course, alhamdulillah, over time was mediated, everything worked out, but that's the strong opinion as to why this verse was sent. Then the next, the next point that uh, we'll make is we talked about last time like there's two types of relationships we have a religious re relationship and a relationship with humanity and a relationship with the environment right? all those are considered ukhuwa different types of ukhuwa wa ila adin akhahum huda Allah says to the people of ad we sent their brother hud they weren't muslims he was a prophet but still there's this brotherhood between them in the mal mu'minun yes sir just going back to the discussion between the wife and the mother so if like someone asked you about the hadith with respect to like who do you who you're supposed to love the most and the prophet says your mother three times is there a context to that of like, course when the prophet said umak umak thumma abak like who do you love more between your mother and your father that's between your mother and father only and then secondly fi ta'a fi ta'a i love her in obedience Right? Hadith, there's no obeying creation if I'm disobeying the Creator. Right? So, in these type of situations, I don't know it's easier said than done. But could you clarify what the Hadith was? Maybe I'm saying it wrong. Between your mother and father, who do you love more? Well, it wasn't the who do you love the most, period. La'a. And also, also in the and I just said it in obedience. Like, who do I love more in obedience, not disobedience? To abuse your wife. Allah said, "Don't harm your wives, don't harm your husbands." So So if I'm obeying my mom and harming my spouse, I'm disobeying Allah, Subhanahu wa Taala. If I'm obeying my husband and harming my parents, right, in clear haram or abusing them, that's a problem. Right? The Prophet is still khira, like live together nicely with your with your spouse. And again, that's an aqid. In that contract that we make when we get married, we promise Right? That's why it's called Nikah is called mithaq. It's more than a contract. It's like you you better be on it. Got it? Any other questions about that before we move on? Yes, ma'am. Just actually an announcement. Um, so two people in the class of my sister and I, we brought Somali samosas and chai. So if you guys want some, some's going around, but later on. Okay, so, alhamdulillah, we have Somali sambusas. Yes, salam. And chai. And chai. The best <laughs> chai in the world is Somali chai. And, and yeah, and then Brooke. 
Ya'un. And, and, and uh, there's a sweet in Somalia. It's called Ya'un, right? No, Ya'un means eat, like eat me. Yeah, like, eat it, that's what it's called. No, it's not. It is. <laughs> that's what the uncle told me. I'm going with the uncle's the riwayah. I uncle wanted you to eat it. That's why oh, he, he told me it's called Ya'un, eat me. Yeah, that's what he told me. I grew up here. It's called Iyun. Iyun means eat me. No, 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 no. I asked more than one uncle. It's mutawatir. I guess like been affirmed. I'm probably wrong. Unless I'm right. It's like a little cookie. It's like a... Oh, is it cookie? Yeah, like a little something in the, in, inside of it, like uh, a filling. Okay, there's something wrong with my membership. <laughs> but thank you for bringing the sweets, alhamdulillah. Any other questions about parents and kids and marriage and all this other kind of stuff? Yes, ma'am. He just, he asked that just a minute ago. Yeah, because that's talking about between your mother and your father. And secondly, only to hibha fi ta'ati la. And you can't love her in disobedience. So I can't love my mother and treat my wife badly. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's what, so the hadith is conditioned on al-ma'roof, right? But abusing a spouse emotionally, physically, right? That's haram. Yes, ma'am. But, but like, but doesn't it, wasn't, the, wasn't the guy asking, like, which person is, like, the, who deserves my, like, good companionship the most? As opposed to, like, parent, like... Umak, umak, yeah, but let's take it to, to mean that. Still, only in good. I can't love them in evil. So my mom is saying, hey, you love me, you know, leave home. Okay, I love you. So the meaning is in the khair. When, when Imam Ahmed uh, was a qadi, someone came to him and said, a woman came to him and said, I ordered my husband and my son to divorce his wife. And he refused. And he said, of course he did. That's not allowed. And then she said, what about Omar when he asked Abdullah bin Omar to divorce this girl? And he did it. And he said, when you become like Omar, come back and ask me. <laughs> right? like, and also Omar, he knew the family. He knew the girl. He was like, they were in a, an area where they knew each other. Right? But there, there's no way, logically, a religion is going to ask us to abuse someone else in the name of the love of someone else. And that's where the problem lies. And, and then you, you, you create aneurysms in the marriage of abuse, of trauma, that become very difficult to heal over time. Once there was a great muhaddith, I just remember now, he's actually the student of Imam Ahmed, and he narrated more than a million hadith. I forgot his name. And on his deathbed, Imam al-Zahabi mentions, people said to him, like, mashallah, man, like, you, you narrated a million hadith, like, you're going to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and you narrated more than a million hadith of Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he said, ma dakhartu, like, I did not, uh, tre I did not, like, put this in a treasure. That's not what I put in my treasure. Meaning, like, my hope with God, my investment, my Bitcoin with God is not the hadith that I narrated. Then they ask him what, he said, I never hurt my wife's feelings. So imagine, Yarwi narrated a million hadith, but his, the, most, the most important thing to him is like, I never, you know, we all have drama, don't get me wrong, but he meant like purposely or intently hurt my spouse's feelings. Th these things are really, really important, and that's why I believe like premarital counseling, even with the parents, is important. I mean, 
people can know like what what you can and can't do. Yeah, yes. The best of you are those who are good to their spouses, and I'm best to my spouses. This is for men and women. Yes, ma'am. Uh, I mean, I think on his deathbed is probably out of sincerity, but maybe also, of course, there's a there's an issue of like tarbiya, like I'm teaching my students how to act, right? How to treat their spouses, and vice versa. And 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 look at uh, the people that used to talk about Sayyidah Khadija and say like, you know, we could never outdo her because even in the most difficult times, she comforted the Prophet. Right? She, she maintained a sense of like honoring her husband, right? being good to him, not losing it. Right? When, when we're watching Real Housewives of whatever, you know, those are not necessarily models you know, <laughs> we want to take our maybe home improvement, but not that. Yes? Doesn't matter in the Mu'amalat because this is Sunnah Khayr al-Tashri'iyya. You know, she loved him before he was a prophet. Yeah. So there, there should never be the need to challenge being a good person. Right? The understanding is, but here the point I'm saying is in Sharia, when you take an aqid with someone, that is from your own volition, and you are held accountable more for that than providence. Like, I, I, I'm agreeing to be good to you, and now I'm backing out on this contract. That's a problem. And no one should step in. And this is a kind of question that shouldn't even be asked, like, who do you love more? Like, that's not a healthy question to ask a couple, right? They're negotiating their sexuality. They're negotiating their emotional maturity. And then, like, you put this really hard question on them. How the subject it's not easy. So in-laws can be outlaws, right? And, and we have to tell people, like, fear Allah, you know? Like, give couples some space um, instead of putting pressure but this verse was sent interestingly enough because of that kind of situation any other questions about this before we move on sure alright then the verse says we said is three types right? a religious brotherhood and then a brotherhood with humanity and then our responsibility to the environment. Anyone see that polar bear video this week? Right? And, and, and we talked about when it comes to the areas of ukhuwa, the sphere of influence and the sphere of concern. Where can I really have an impact? Right? And then where's my concern? I need to make sure that I invest in where I can have influence. We, we usually get it twisted. We, we're, we're off in space trying to save the world, and the house in front of us is burning down. So we talk about this. That's why the Prophet has some many hadith about brotherhood and sisterhood. Then there's other hadith, like, you'll never complete your faith if you love for your brother what you love for yourself. You know, and now he says brotherhood here means all human beings. And then on Uhua, uh with creation, we know that the Prophet someone he gave the khutbah and he left the mimbar, the, the, this piece of wood, sorry, the stump of a tree, began to cry, missing him, sallallahu And also the hadith of a tirmidhi, where it's bahr, you know, even the sea, even the, the whale in the sea prays for the, the believer. And that's why Allah says, وَمَا بَكَتْ عَلِيهِمُ السَّمَاءُ وَالْأَرْضِ Right, when someone like Fir'aun dies, 
the Quran says, the heavens and the earth didn't share tears for them. The, what's understood is that when a believer dies, who's been good to the environment, then it would share tears for them. Mufum mukhalafa. So here we see these three things. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. Maybe someone will ask them, what about the hadith of killing dogs? I get this question like every day from people. You know, the Prophet ordered people in Medina to kill black dogs. Um, now we opened up a whole can of words about dogs. But this hadith, if you look at the context of the hadith, was sent because these were rapid dogs. They had rabies. Uh, Imam al-Hattab al-Maliki is a great jurist. He said in Mawahib al-Jalil, this is book we studied, that these dogs had an illness. And they were going around and biting people. So it doesn't mean like any black dog, man. Like every single black dog you run into. So when he called them shaitan, he was referring to the illness uh, within those specific dogs. And uh, he also mentions that towards the end of his life in Medina, the Prophet said that everything, every creation is dependent on God, and the best of you are those who are best to God's dependence. So it means human beings, animals, you name it. The other question people ask is like, what if a dog licks me in Washington Square Park? Because I know that's what's going to be asked next. Um, so the, the dominant opinion of the people of Medina and Imam Malik is that dogs aren't filthy. And there's a number of evidences for this. Number one is, in Surah Al-Ma'idah, بِمَا تُعْلِمُونَهُ نَمِيمَا عَلَّمَكُمُ اللَّهِ You're allowed to hunt with dogs. Like, if dogs were filthy, like, you ain't hunting with pigs. Right? Secondly, historically, and you can do research on this, who created the seeing eye dog? If you go to Sheikh Wikipedia, Sheikh Wikipedia says the Germans. But if you go, for example, to Khatib al-Baghdadi's book, The History of Baghdad, go to some of the more older history books, you'll find that in Iraq, in the old days, and this would be an awesome children's book, man, there were blind people who lived in Baghdad. And there was a problem because, like, they couldn't get around. So the scholars, not just, like, religious scholars, but all types of people of knowledge got together and they started to talk about what can we do to facilitate life for blind people. Because we know that the Prophet said, whoever walks with a blind person 40 steps will go to Jannah. This is an authentic hadith. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So they started to propose different ideas, which is really hilarious. So one of them was like, Munkin Let's get the rooster. Maybe the rooster can like guide the blind person. That got shot down rather quickly because roosters aren't the most intelligent species in the world. They talked about like a donkey. They're like, well, donkeys, some people consider them impure, and then donkeys aren't really, like, when you domesticate a donkey, you still can't like roll up in the masjid with your donkey, like pray the Lord and leave, you know, go to someone's house. Hey, what's up? Sorry, man, my donkey's here. You know. So they actually went through like these different proposals of animals, and they proposed dogs. And they began to train dogs in the second, third century in Iraq to help blind people get around. Right? Ajib, subhanAllah. None of them were worried about it's najis, it's filthy, blah, 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 blah. The third is people will say, what about the hadith of Sayyidina Abi Huraira? Hadith of Tirmidhi, 
if a dog lips, li licks a vessel, you got to wash it like seven times, the first time with dirt. Um, Imam Ibn Rushd, he's like brilliant, a brilliant jurist, he says, you know, th this is for health reasons. And, and that's why Malik, in the Mudawwana, which is a great book, he said that Abu Huraira, he didn't even act on this hadith. So we have a very important axiom that Al-A'maru Aqwa min al It's an axiom in Sharia that the actions of the Sahaba are louder than the statements of Sahaba. Like, so if a Sahabi narrates a hadith and doesn't act on it, then we know that the hadith is not like an obligation. It's impossible to believe Abu Huraira is going to tell you to do something and he doesn't do it. So Imam Ibn Rushd says, my, my theory, and he was a physician, he was a genius, is that this was a health issue. Not because dogs are filthy, but because of health. The third is what Al-Qurtubi said uh, in his book, uh, Tafsir, it's like a freaking amazing text, man. He said in there, in Sultan Kaf, they're hanging out with a dog, man. They slept next to a dog. We have an axiom that says it's not allowed to sleep with something nijis. Alhamdulillah, like you're not going to sleep with a pig, man. You know, some people do. If you look on Instagram, there are some people sleep with pigs. Um, so the predominant opinion, as mentioned, Sultan Ma'idah, and this actions of Abu Hurairah in the Hadith. Now you see why it's dangerous to go hear narrations without knowing the why of the narration, or the reasoning of the narration, or how the Sahaba acted on the narration. That's very important. That's very, mashallah. That's very important. The last is people will ask, like, then what about, like, dogs going in my house? Like, I heard if you have a dog, angels don't go in your house. Uh, according to Malik, again, I'm trained in the Maliki school. I've, I learned five, but I'm Maliki, so forgive me. Um, but I'm not, like, muta'asib in my madhab. Um, Imam Malik said that the angel that doesn't go in the house is Sayyidina Jibreel, talking to the Prophet only, sallallahu because we believe these two angels are with you all the time, even in the restroom. Even in Ramadan, these two angels are with you. Because in Ramadan, we'll talk about it in Surah Al-Jinn, there is one shaitan is with you in Ramadan. 24-7, 365, this shaitan is with you till you die. It rhymes. We'll talk about who that is and how he works. Then the last is, can I have a dog in my house? The predominant opinion, first of all, nobody cares. Like, can I have a dog in your house? I have a dog in your house. Like, we're not going to rubber stamp everything. Right? Predominant opinion is no, you should not have a dog in your house just because of the hadith about the angels and being careful. Right? Secondly, if there is a need for that dog, like security, like say you're a sister and like you live in New York City all by yourself, right? or you're a brother, you live in New York City all by yourself, and you need to feel secure, it's not a problem to have a dog. Let's say somebody has psychological issues and they're lonely. Loneliness now is the second cause of death in this country after heart disease. They're saying, you know, how to, maybe that's a means of therapeutic help. I'd rather have someone healthy with a dog than depressed and not have a dog. So if there's illa, if there's like a legitimate need that's honest, right, then inshallah, no problem. Dog away. Any questions about dogs <laughs> on the cats? Yes. <laughs> Thank God. I know that we like we talk about like, context is everything. And Sometimes, yeah. A lot of times we hear these hadith and we hear these narrations without the context, and that's just all we've ever known. And like for me personally, growing like you know in the last few years, I've heard a lot more of the context of stuff that I've heard growing up, and I'm like, wow, it's completely different from what I knew. Um, like, how do we? 
I guess I'm I'm trying to phrase it properly. Just like how do we like you know learn to understand context better when most of the time all we've learned was the actual thing and not the the background. Well, it's like what I said earlier about the Quran. Most 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 Islamic schools have a person who can read the Quran, yeah. but are like really reading it. You know, no. But there's a number of things that have happened, but we have to look at ourselves in the American context like, I want to phrase this out so properly. Uh, literacy in the Muslim world is, in the, in the American Muslim community, is still emergent. Like, it's not, it's still very prepubescent. Like, so when people ask me, should I stay here or study overseas? Like, if you really want to study, like, as a, you want to become sheikh or like imam, go overseas. Because you're just going to naturally learn in like a week in Saudi or Egypt or Syria or Morocco or Pakistan what you might learn a year here in like those great schools. Just the, the, the like for example, if you want to learn Arabic and you live in the Arab country, you're going to, your Arabic's going to shoot through the roof just because you're there. If you want to be a bodybuilder, hang out with bodybuilders. You know what I'm saying? Our community is still negotiating what it was when it came to this country or when it accepted Islam, in my case, and then marrying that with now like emergent situations, which we don't have a lot of, like Bitcoin, we don't have a lot of literacy on these things. Seriously. Right? So this is a process. Education is a process. Think about Omar. And oftentimes we see religious education as an answer. No, the answer is on big issues like God, prophet, Paradise, I need answers, then I accept Islam. But on issues, look at Sayyidina Omar when he was told that the Prophet died. He didn't believe it. Like this is Omar, he's one of the 30s, what are considered muftis of, each, uh, of the Prophet's community. And still he's like, I don't believe it. And then when Abu Bakr recites to him a verse, وَمَا مُحَمَّدٌ إِلَّا رَسُولٌ قَدَ خَرَتْ مِنْ Know, if the messenger dies, what does Omar say? It's like the first time I what? I heard this verse. So like, religious education is a process. It's it's a, it's a, a experiences introspection. Look at Imam Shafi. He has an old madhab. He goes to Egypt. He makes a new madhab. So madhab al qadim and madhab al jadid. This is Shafi. Because his experiences, he runs into new evidences, he gains new insight, he grows. Imam Ahmed on one issue had 18 different opinions, man. That's not because he's like John Kerry in 2004, you know, swift boat. He's not sure, right? He's not a, what they, I forgot the word they gave it for John Kerry and then, but like, you know, he doesn't switch positions. Flip-flopping. But he's introspective. And there's only five rulings. So if you had 18 opinions on one issue, I mean, five rulings, sometimes he was like, haram, no halal, haram, no halal. He'd go back to the same position. Imam Abu Hanifa, whose madhab to this day says you can't wipe on cotton socks, during his illness with which he dies, he experiences something and says, you know what, you can wipe on cotton socks. That's towards the end of his life. Uh, so this is a process. And I don't think we appreciate sometimes how fluid Islam is on issues. Very rarely, rarely is it like polarizing. On shirk, it's clear. On Prophet Muhammad, the final messenger, it's clear. Being good to people, 
clear, you know, Bitcoin, who knows, find out tomorrow, right? <laughs> that, that's where also I think when we teach people, we should tell them, listen, maybe one day you're going to hear a different opinion than the one I'm teaching you, and for you at that time, that may be much more valid than what I'm telling you now. Like, that's responsibility. And then engaging the community that way and say, instead of saying, like, if you ever change whatever I told you, you're going to go to hell. So it's, it's dynamic. And that's why Ashaltabi said that in his muafaqat, when people would ask the Prophet the same question, he had different answers. Because people are different. Not on the fundamental principles of Islam. This is where we also get super, so you're saying, like, we don't have to pray anymore, and like, we have to be good to our parents. We're not talking about those issues. We're talking about negotiables. Those negotiables are fluid. When we study usul al-fiqh next year, if people are here, you're going to be like, man, wow. Like, I didn't know there was this kind of capability in our religion. Mm-hmm. Any other questions before we jump into the... Yes, ma'am. Is it possible to wipe on cotton socks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Hanbalis. Imam Ahmed, his, his madhab allows people to wipe on cotton socks as long as there's no holes. They're not transparent. They're not wet. You put them on in a state of wudu, uh, and you could, like, wear them without them, like, falling apart. So basically, anything you didn't buy at TJ Maxx <laughs> is going to work. Maybe Marshalls. Right? So five conditions. And then there were other people within Matahib that had those opinions. And then Abu Hanifa, at the end of his life, even though his school differs with him, has that opinion. So I'll give an example when I use that a lot with high school kids who, like, have to make wudu at school or people, like, that are at work, you know. Uh, if you're, like, the only Muslim in your high school and you get caught with your foot in the sink, man, it's just a bad look. <laughs> so, you know, there's times and places for that. Yes? I mean, I would say to those people, that's fine. Maybe that's good for your situation. But what about when the Prophet told Abu Dhar, don't stand up and don't go out and yell Islam? And he did, and he got beat up. Remember, Abu Dhar accepted Islam, and the Prophet told him, like, yo, chill. Abu Dhar was a, a street hustler. right? He robbed. He's from Banu Ghaffar. When Banu Ghaffar became Muslim, the other Muslims were like, oh my God. God, dude, Ben Al-Ghaffar accepted Islam. It's going down, right? But they became great Muslims because they were able to, like, recalibrate that passion from being stick-up people to being the best. Abu Dhar becomes Muslim, and the Prophet tells him, like, do not go and pronounce your Islam. And he's like, I'm going to go hard, the haq, the haq, the haq, runs to the Kaaba, pronounces Islam, and gets brutally assaulted. So we tell people, like, sometimes there's a time to be out there on issues. Other times we need strategy. And I would say that going hard or going soft needs strategy. Right? No problem. And that's a personal decision. Like, you don't ask a fatwa, like, should I make wudu at school or not? I don't know. If you can handle it. If you think it's a good thing, people may ask you. Alhamdulillah, khair. Any other questions about this before we jump into the verse? Awesome. So the, the next verse that we're going to take about really talks about the foundations of how we should treat each other. 
um, and things we should be careful of. We said that there is kind of a, a system to this chapter, that it talks about our relationship with God, about our relationship with the Prophet, and then it talks about preventive measures, things we should be careful of that could create strife amongst us. Uh, even Taymiyyah says something very powerful. He said, out of all of the sacred verses of Quran and Hadith, one of the most sacred things is the unity of the Muslim community. Unfortunately, people tend to make excuses like to divide us and harm us. Whereas we see even in Surah Al-Qasas, when Sayyidina Musa asked Harun, why didn't you stop Bani Israel? He said, I was scared you'd say, that you created division amongst the people of Bani Israel. Even though Harun was right. When the Prophet comes back to Mecca after conquering Mecca, and he says to Sayyidina Aisha, if it wasn't that your people just became Muslim, I'll order the Kaaba to be destroyed and rebuilt properly. Why, why would he do that? Because he knows if he rebuilds the Kaaba in front of the people that just became Muslim, it's going to create what? It's going to create conflict. So he's smart. That's why Imam Manawi said this is the best example of someone as a community organizer who like what we call mura'at al-fitan, who's careful not to create problems careful not to create uh, strife amongst the believers. There's a number of reasons why this, why this happens. Uh, so the verse, these verses talk about preventive measures. Number one is false news, fake news. Right? If people come to us with information, it doesn't matter who it is. If it's bad information in general, we should verify it because that can lead to problems. That's why you asked me about the translation. I forgot the translation you read of that verse. But, If he obeyed you, if the Prophet had listened to the news of Al-Walid about Banu Mustalaq and acted on it, The word anit means mushadda, yani mushakka. Right? If he had listened to you, it would have harmed you. Then the next things that it warns us about, like after bad news, false news, false information, you know, is physical conflict. How do we manage that? How we should try to prevent it? How we make peace between each other? And we said it was left general because different cultures, different people have different ways that they solve problems. Right? I remember once I was in a Muslim country uh, for the first time. This was in the 90s. I was really young. And there were these two uncles like just screaming at each other, man. You know, like going hard. So I said to my sheikh, like, man, do they hate each other? He's like, no, no, they love each other. I was like, but like, they're like really yelling at each other. He was like, no, that's how you show you love each other. <laughs> right? It's like left to the culture. And he was like, if you were to be like quiet, that's a sign that you're like macker. You know, like you're scheming. <laughs> I was like, man, this is the total opposite of Oklahoma, man. Right? But the point is, different Communities, different cultures, right, negotiate conflict and tr into being beneficial in different ways. And then it talks about that our relationship is brothers and sisters. I heard Dr. Ingrid Madison say something really awesome once about this. Who is the person that you probably fought with the most in your life? Your siblings. So she said, this verse is not saying like you love each other all the time and you're happy with each other all the time as brothers and sisters because that just ain't true. 
but that you engage in conflict and you engage in strife in, in a way that a family would. It's all good, man. No worries. You know, we had some issues. We're brothers. We had some issues. We're sisters. Alhamdulillah. So she said, that's why the verse comes after, Right? After fighting, reminds us, you know, y'all still brothers? Y'all still sisters? And now it starts to talk about how we treat each other at a personal level. And how these things, if we're not careful, can lead to strife amongst us. So it says, Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu. O believers, la yaskhar. Tashkhir means to make fun of somebody. And, 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 and it means min jiyat al-ijlal, like I'm looking down on you. So the idea is like bullying, man. Like don't intimidate people. Don't make fun of them. La yaskhar qawmun. It doesn't say al-qawm. It doesn't say al-mu'min, al-muslim. It says don't let any people, like any group of people should not make fun of each other. If it's specified, then maybe we'd say, oh, I can make fun of these people, I can make fun of these people, but I'm not supposed to make fun of these people. But here it says, قَوْمٌ to emphasize, in general, don't make fun of anybody. Don't tease them. Yes? Does that like, apply to like, public figures? Like, for making fun of Trump, for example? That's a little different. <laughs> the Prophet said me, you know, there's verses in the Quran that call Abu Sufyan Jahid. Verses in the Quran that say about the people of Mecca, Balhum Aldal, like they're more lost than cows. Uh, but the general rule of thumb is no, but if there's benefit uh, for the broader community, uh, it's acceptable. Yes? Aren't those more like substantive criticisms instead of mocking? Like, is it yeah, those are substantive criticisms. As opposed to like, just make fun of him, call it, say yes, little hands, or whatever. <laughs> but it feels so good. <laughs> <laughs> but also, we don't want to become... My, my biggest concern about Trump is like, we're all starting to mirror him and how we react. You know? Like, he's just a bad person. Uh, a bully, he's arrogant. What he tweeted today is like absolutely insane. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of substantive criticism that can be, I would say, keep it at that level. Yeah. Like we shouldn't make fun of how people look in general because Allah created them, you know. But the substantive criticism. And that's why we say, well, man, and I'm in a mushrikeen. Like I don't, do, I don't do things the same way other people do things. Like my criticism is founded in some kind of ethic. Um, so, yeah. So, there's a number of reasons why this verse was sent. Um, one states that it was sent because of Sayyidina Bilal and Sayyidina Suhaib, who were not Arabs and people made fun of them. So they weren't Arabs, so people made fun of their nasab, like their lineage. And also, don't let women make fun of each other. Doesn't mean don't let, but like women should not make fun of women. The reason this was sent is because some of the wives of the Prophet were making fun of Safiya. Here we see something like the Quran doesn't play, don't care who you are. If you do something bad, you're going to get called out for it in this way without saying their names. Right? Because they said that she was a woman who, of course, her lineage was Jewish. So she came to Sayyidina Rasul 
And she said, like, they're, like, making fun of me, man. They're calling me Bint Yahud, you know? And he said, nah, don't tell them that. Say to them, you, and look how, again, family, look how the Prophet navigates this, man. This is smooth. He says, tell them you are the Bint of Harun. Your grandfather is Musa, and your husband is Muhammad, so but in general, in general, we're not supposed to make fun of people. And even in a substance of criticism, like we should be very careful, like you said, small hands, the kids in Philistine, I'm not saying this to make a joke, Yasifu Kunafa. They call Trump Kunafa because of his orange. Um, you know, these kind of things, they're kids, right? So kids are going to be kids. And no one can tell Palestinians how to, I mean, what they're going through, man. But... In general, we should keep it like. That's why Imam Adhabi says in the science of hadith, when you declare someone weak, you cannot go beyond what's needed to establish their weak. So, like, you've, you've made it clear, like, this is why this person's weak. Like, they have a bad memory, they couldn't write well, they were liars. You have to stop at that. He said, if you were to add anything, then you fall outside of, like, legitimate criticism. It's incredible. But we need to be careful. I was, I was, um, I was in a gathering of an MSA, and this brother used the N-word. And, you know, there were people of color there who were like, what? And like, it, it, got, it got thick. But he shouldn't, you shouldn't use those kind of words. You shouldn't use terminology about people uh, in a way that they don't. So the scholar said two things about this. Number one, what's clearly wrong. Number two, and this is not talking about that situation. Even if it's a word that you think is harmless, but the person doesn't like it. Or an action that you don't think is harmful, but it, it bothers them. That's sukhriya. So Allah says, La yaskhar qawmun. This is talking about Bilal and Suhaib, people making fun of them. There's another narration, you know, Um Salama, radiallahu anha, was extremely short. Kind of qasira. It's like she's really super short. So some of the people, there was a group of women in Medina who began to tease her for being short. So this verse came. Why? Because you don't know who's better. Right? In reality, that's only left to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then the verse continues and said, You know, do not Talmizu uh, means like tu'ib. You know, to ridicule someone or to accuse them of something evil. But here it doesn't say, meaning it didn't say like don't ridicule the believers, don't ridicule whoever. It says, don't ridicule yourself. Because when we make fun of people, when we accuse people of things, oftentimes we're just projecting our own issues. And when we hurt other people, especially from our community, it's like we're hurting each other. Right? And the verse says, and also don't use bad nicknames. There's three principles about this though. One we'll talk about on Saturday because one of the imams that we're going to learn about on Saturday, his name was Field. <laughs> what does Field mean? Because he was big, man. But he named himself Field. So that's okay. Right? They ask him, why do you call yourself? He said, Liyadama Khalqi. Say, because I'm big. MashaAllah. <laughs> but in general, if someone names himself that, 
kind of funny word, like, you know, Pookie, I don't know. <laughs> Any kind of strange nickname, and they don't have a problem with it, as long as it's not explicit or harms other people, Adajais. That's okay. So sometimes you'll find some early imams, Araj. Araj means one eye. Because I have one eye, I name myself Araj. And maybe sometimes they did it because other people had their names. Like so many people had their names that he's like, I had to distinguish myself from the other people. So he named himself Araj. There was someone in the early, early part of Islam, his name was Qabih. Qabih means like detestable. He named himself this. I don't know why he did that. Right? That's his business. Right? But it's not allowed to call people by bad nicknames, especially parents. And this, this means also like when kids come to us and say, you know, my mom said me, told me like, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given up on me. This is sakhriya and also giving people bad nicknames. Or like Allah will never forgive you. Or you're going to hell. You destroyed your relationship with Allah. Any form of abuse. And don't use names that are going to offend people. So number one is if the person wants to have that name and it doesn't hurt other people, like Imam Fiyad, he's one of the great scholars of the Quran, it's fine. He chose his name. Uh, number two is if it's not allowed to use those names in a general way. Number three is if, if that person's name in a culture no longer has a bad meaning. So like at one time it meant this, and another time it meant that. This is called a tunasi. Tunasi means that the rhetoric around something was forgotten. Right? The rhetoric around it was forgotten, so now the name has a different meaning. And it's, it's okay. It's based on orf. So three things. The person named themselves that name. MashaAllah, barakallah Right. Number two, um, we shouldn't do it in general. Number three, but if the meaning of that name changes according to culture. So, for example, the word maheen. What does maheen mean in Arabic? Mimma'im maheen, sulta sajda. Maheen means debased. But in, in Persian, what I was told, my wife can correct me, maheen means like something good. So, we had this brother, he actually went to Colombia, subhanAllah. He came to Egypt. <laughs> his name was Maheen. Yeah. So with his Persian origin, so uh, the sheikh that we used to read was Sheikh said Jibril. He said, what's his name? I said, man. <laughs> I don't know this brother's name, man. He's like, no. I was like, Abdul Muhammad. <laughs> <laughs> I made up a name. <laughs> and then he said, no, my name is Maheen. And then the sheikh, he said, la hawla wa rahmatullah. Your name is Maheen, yani. He said, la la, Abdul Muhammad afdal wa ahsan. But then we had to explain to the sheikh, according to this brother's family, whatever language they were speaking, Maheen meant something good. So then the sheikh was like, oh, okay, no problem. Like, whatever you want to call yourself, Maheen is fine. So the last is like the cultural piece. Then Allah says, bi salismu fusuqu ba'd al-iman that the worst thing that can happen is for someone to be accused of sin after faith. This is really important. This part of the verse was sent about converts because all the Sahaba were converts. And there were some people in Medina who made fun of them, like Safiya. Like, you know, how do we know you're like really Muslim? Like you used to worship statues, now like you're here. Your parents were this, your father was this. And they used to ridicule them 
for their lineage or their former religion. So Right, that's the worst thing you can do is like tease somebody about their previous religion. And we learned something about these verses. There was some stuff going on in Medina, man. <laughs> there were some serious issues, right, that had to be addressed. Then Allah says, Whoever doesn't repent from this behavior is an oppressor. We, we are very different maybe than other people. We, we not only believe that um, the misappropriation of physical power is oppression, we also believe that emotional treatment can fall under oppression. How we treat people, our character. The next verse, insha'Allah, and we'll stop here, but we'll just prepare one for it, is another major cause of division. So we talked about bad information, physical conflicts, we talked about bullying, we talked about accusing people of things they haven't done, or creating bad reputations about like, you know, this person did this, or, or even bringing out their mistakes. Right? The Prophet said, whoever fought, uh, this is not talking about serious issues, okay? Abuse, that's different. Right? We're talking about like, yo, guess where I saw Suhaib last Saturday night, dude? That's the problem. You know, or like aunties are sitting and talking about somebody's wife or, you know, those, those kind of things, man. The Prophet said, whoever follows awrat al-Muslimin, whoever follow, follows, follows those things that Allah has hidden, Allah will expose their evil in front of people. And wallahi, I've seen this in my life with people. You know? So that's what that means. Don't do that to yourselves. And also, like, one, 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 uh, there was an imam in Egypt when I was there. He's a really cool guy. And there was a celebrity that got, like, in trouble for some, some weird stuff. And he was known to be actually a good person. He just made some mistakes. So I was sitting in the masjid, and this guy came to him. And he was like talking about this celebrity. And he was saying about her that, you know, she, this, 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 this. He started like mentioning stuff, man, that like was really not our business. So the sheikh, he said, yeah, but maybe she fasted and that was forgiven. SubhanAllah, man. It's like maybe she gave sadaqah and that was forgiven. Maybe she prayed at night and that was forgiven. It's like maybe she cried to Allah and that was forgiven. He's like, but I know one thing. He's like, I haven't seen you crying for saying this about her. And the guy was like, should I stop talking? He's like, ah, after sukut after. Like, he, it's better if you be quiet. Like, we, you never know, man. People may have, we all slip, man. And maybe they've done something to like, expi, you know, to be forgiven. That will be our hope, right? So bringing out the mistakes of people that don't need to be brought out. Like, there's no benefit in bringing it out. They're not extorting people for millions of dollars. They're not lying about mining Bitcoin. You know what I mean? Like, they've really done something. They've really done something, but it's not affecting people. And they used to do this to the Prophet Sallallahu They even used to do it with isharat, like just making faces and pointing at him. 
The second is not to use names when we talk about each other. You know what I mean? The third, we said, is It's like how we treat converts. Man, conversion is hard. It's not easy. I tell people, like, I don't know how I'm still Muslim. Like, we, no, you're not not because anything the Muslims did. It's just, like, that's a very difficult thing to do. Like, when you look back on it, you're like, dang, man, how did I do that? Like, you know, like, without a supportive community, it would be very difficult. If we were as passionate about supporting and loving each other as we were about harming each other, we'd have, like, the best church in America. Like, I'm serious, you know? Last year, my mother died. I talk about it a lot because it's my mom. And this person came to me and was like, is it true that you went to Tel Aviv? I was like, oh, no. He's like, man, I heard some people say, it's always I heard some people say. Who the heck are people say? I want to meet, meet people say. I think it's a person named people say. I heard some people say, like, you rolled to Tel Aviv, and you like, made Be'ah. <laughs> Some nonsense, man. I said, do you know my mom's name? He's like, no. I said, you don't know my mother's name, but you know I went to Tel Aviv. Like, what do you know about me, dude? Like, you don't even know I'm going through it. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, we're so invested, even in lies, right? Because I'm BDS for life. Even in lies that like we don't know really what people are experiencing in their lives that need support. So be salismu fusuqu ba'd al-eeman wa man lam Such a beautiful verse here. Who doesn't repent is messed up. <laughs> Teacher said to me, it's not the one who sins, but the one who fails to repent. Like so it's like telling you like, yo, you got this, just come back, you know? Just repent. The Prophet said, Ataib, the one who repents is like the Malla It's like the one that has no sin. You know, and so many ahadith about repentance, so many verses of the Quran about Tawbah. And then the next we'll talk about this next week. The last suspicion. Like suspicion can really, really create problems. I've seen it in everything. I knew a brother, once his wife, I saw her at the masjid. This was when I was in Oklahoma, I was a kid. Then I went to his house in the same neighborhood. They just got married and he was like freaking out. I said, man, what's wrong? He's like, man, I think my wife is out somewhere on what she's doing, stuff for Allah, man, blah, 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 blah. I said, dude, I just saw your wife at the masjid, man. And then he was like, I don't know why I think this way. Like, first of all, you got some insecurity issues. We need to sit down and talk, right? There's a whole, a whole set of problems here. Dr. Drew, whatever, love line, I don't know if it's still on. You need to make some phone calls, bro. But then I asked him, what is the inkling of an evidence that she's anywhere else but where she told you? He's like, I haven't, I don't know. I was like, that's that's, that's fun. But so fun. Right? It happens with friends. You know, as, as a community once I belonged in, two brothers didn't say salam to each other one day, so they didn't talk to each other for like a few months. 
Why? We had to sit them down. Why? Man, he didn't say salam to me. Like, I know he doesn't like me. What are you, what? First of all, you, you ain't that important. Like, but secondly, like, that's su'udhan. So we'll talk about, and su'udhan usually is rooted in insecurities. Right? And a sense of hubris. I'm so important, I can assume everyone around me is bad. Because I'm special. Right? I'm the, lo I'm the lost Jedi. Everything revolves around me. Friday night, can't wait. Right? But, we'll talk about that next week, inshallah. And there's a lot of hadith. And usually we say, Su'udhan bil muslimin. Su'udhan bin as having a bad assumption about people is really rooted in having a bad suspicion with God. Right? Not expecting khair. So we'll stop now. We'll take a few minutes of questions. And we have Somali Sambuses and uh, Somali Shai. MashaAllah. Uh, so it was Megan who helped make it? Alhamdulillah. Thank you, man. Sisters, they all came over on Sunday. We brought so Really? It's yeah. amazing, man. I'm like, wow. <laughs> Somali tea is like the best. I didn't put any sugar or milk because I was like, I'm not even How's it small tea like without sugar and milk? It's there, but usually it's like diabetes, so I'll let everyone decide how much It is a diabetic coma in a glass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but without the sugar and milk, it's just it's like, there. It's, there. it's just yeah. shy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just like shy. Any questions, inshallah? Yes, sir. Uh, I was going to ask you about this part of this verse, which I think you didn't cover. Um, I explained it two weeks ago. Oh, okay. It's on... Uh, Facebook. Okay. Facebook. <laughs> so he's asking about if they continue to fight. This verse, I explained it two weeks ago. It's on Facebook. Yes, sir. Who's right and who's wrong? It just says make reconciliation, and I think that's a big difference between what usually happens. I mean, when we see people fighting, we say, you know, what did you say? What did you say? Forget all, about all that. You guys are brothers, and let's find a common, um, a common belief between you. Yeah, but right, so he's saying, you know, it says for aslihu bayinahuma, just make peace between them without giving like. Stipulating, but right before that, hatta tafi ila amrillah, right? So it does say, come back to like, if there's a command of God involved, come back to that command. If it's not an issue of God's commandment, but a cultural issue, then come back to what's kind of negotiated by culture. That's there, right before it, right before that part, it happens. Here's something also when it talks about fighting and peace, it doesn't say taqwa. I want to talk about brothers and sisters' relationships. It mentions taqwa. Um, some scholars say something interesting because usually when it comes to like fighting and like settling disputes, you, you're going to get something out of it. But when it comes to like little issues between brothers and sisters, you don't really get anything out of it. So it involves taqwa. Like, the, like for example, do you love her more than me or do you love him more than me? That's taqwa. Right? It's interesting. Interesting point. Yes? We're going to talk about that next week. 
When's it allowed to backbite? For example, in therapy, it's allowed to backbite. Yeah, of course. If someone's being abused, man, you know, and they have to talk. In court, Imam Anawi said if someone asks you about someone for marriage, you have to tell them the truth about that person. You can't be like, oh, I don't want to say anything wrong. Well, then you're responsible for them walking into a freaking train wreck. So we'll talk about it. Imam al-Ghazali in Ihya al-Muddin, he mentions eight, I think eight or nine times that you can quote-unquote backbite. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, sure. We'll talk about, yeah, well, Islamically it is, because you're mentioning something about them that they wouldn't want you to say. So it falls under ikhtiyab. Yes, sir. Um, is uh, the non-Hijab Madhab a requirement to be Muslim? <clears throat> no, uh, not at all. No. Uh, but it is a requirement to practice Islam. You know, you can't practice Islam without the Madhab. I, I would never tell one of you guys to learn a Madhab A to Z. Um, I asked Sheikh Ahmad Taharian, he's a great scholar, Maliki scholar, he's like, America has no Madhab, right? Most Muslim countries don't have a Madhab now. But what is a madhab? A madhab is the, the record of how Islam was practiced and negotiated from the time of the salaf to now. So there's a lot of hikmah in that. There's wisdom in that. And when, when we distance ourselves from that experience, sometimes we lose the wisdom of those people. There's great wisdom amongst our ancestors. There's also things we don't necessarily agree with. But you're not going to get an answer on an issue about worship without it being based on a madhab. It's impossible. Right? So a madhab to sharia is like a zip file for a computer. It just saves you a lot of time and trouble. But I don't think for the masses, like, just we have an axiom that says, al-mustafti ala madhab al-mufti. Like, you're on the madhab of your imam, man. Like, any imam I go ask a question, like, I'm not going to be like, what madhab do you follow? In order for me to like be able to argue madhabs that I have to be trained in Islamic law, that's a seven-year degree. And that's where there's problems. And people like, it's okay to argue and discuss. Like, I think that's a great thing. And even, even be constructively critical. But there's also a training component there. Right? Madhabs get complex. You know? But in general, it's like, just follow your local imam, man. If you trust a person, if they're known to be good people, you know? For example, if I live in a community that's all Hanafi, I'm Maliki. Maliki, we pray Fajr as soon as Fajr comes in. It has to be dark outside. The Hanafis, they delay Fajr till it's light outside. Am I going to be like, oh, I'm Maliki, man. I ain't praying with a masjid. That's crazy. Like, I want to be with the people. Like, I want to be with the community. So the community should come first. So whoever is leading the community... You know, I should just follow that. But it's good for, like, someone that, like, wants to go into, like, religious studies, you know, someone who is going to do Islamic studies in the West or the East, an imam, they should learn a method. Because it's going to give you, like, a strong basis. So learning a madhab in fiqh is like learning a qira' and tajweed. Imagine trying to read Quran without tajweed. It'd be hard. So the medhab is kind of like the tajweed of the sharia. How do you read it? How do you understand it? And most, here's a point that should be made. Medhabs 
to the masses are known for their opinions. But medhabs to the scholars are known for how they came to those opinions. That's very different. <clears throat> the usul of the medhab. That's a great question, though. Any other? Yes, sir. I um, think it's like a kind of like a conflict of interest because you brought the sweets and now you're gonna ask a question. Uh, <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> um, this is uh, coming back to your point about forgiveness. It's kind of a basic question. Can Allah Subhanahu wa Taala forgive a person when another person hasn't forgiven that person? We talked about that on Thursdays. That's that's known to Allah. You know, um, but. Only Allah knows. You know, can't speak on behalf of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sure, if you ask the person who did it, they're like, yeah. Sure, if you ask the person who was wronged, they're like, no. So, Allahu alam. But, but justice is like forgiveness, right? Like, it's justice. Like, I mean, I would, I would lean to the, the plaintiff, you know what I mean? But still, I, I can't give a definitive answer. Maybe that person, like, did something that we don't know about. Maybe they try to make up for it. Only Allah knows. But, you know, when you talk about issues of abuse, um, uh, that that's like, you know, I can't answer, man. It would seem to me the person will be definitely held responsible. You know, dealing with serious traumatic issues that have been inflicted on people. Allah says he's going to call those people to account for being abusive. Any other questions? Everybody's so happy, man. It's because we got Sambusa. Everybody's like, <laughs> everybody's like stuck in smile mode. Barakallahu feekum, inshallah.